those hands Dropped it on the clutch on Sunday evening Vando's hands Played catch or not so well Vando's hands Let it slip without a warning He'd say Ricky don't you throw so fast I bounce the ball right off that glass My fingers move like a landmass Vando's hands Okay, it's our first milestone, Josh. This is episode 10 of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for the indie rock bands Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream, and I may or may not have just finished a live, well, not quite live, performance of Vando's hands and I might try to hastily assemble um, prior to the release of this episode. Yeah, and I am Josh Dye with the Convene Training and Resilience Community and we are excited that you're joining us for the only podcast in the world to focus on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene and the not-so-world-class Minnesota Timberwolves. Dan, who would have thought that on March 31st, 2021, that our podcast would have more episodes than the Timberwolves do wins. Oh, <laughs> that's not true, right? This is episode 10. And the, how many how many wins do we have right now? We have 11, don't we? 11 wins. Get out, out man. <laughs> but 11, so we're almost, yeah. <laughs> And and mind you, this is a podcast that records every other week. <laughs> at the at the most. Yes. At the most. And we started on draft night. Mm. <laughs> okay. So well, we are going to make like prodigious amounts of Pacific Northwest hops and zesty orange peel notes and go right into the beer. Josh, what brewery are we sampling and talking about today? Today, it is Steel Toe Brewing, located at 4848 West 35th Street in St. Louis Park. Some things that are fun about Steel Toe is they're one of the breweries that's actually open seven days a week. Their tap room yeah. is. And they have always have a nice, steady rotation of a wide variety of food trucks that come in. So if you love that tap room and food truck experience, which I know that I do, Steel Toe is a nice option for you. They have built out their patio a bit in the midst of COVID to provide a better outdoor experience and also have a nice tap room inside. One of the things I like about their tap room is they have a bar area with a bar and then a little bit of seating behind. And so you can have that bit of a bar experience. And then you can go into sort of the back room, which is the larger open seating portion of the tap room. And I that to me gives it a little bit of charm that many uh, breweries don't necessarily have, which is often it's just kind of one big open space with the bar. This one, you've got the bar, then mm. you've kind of got the seating area and the patio. Where do you live, Josh? I uh, say St. Louis Park. So this uh, is my uh, a brewery in my backyard, so to speak. So that's interesting because uh, I would say this is the one exception of the breweries that we, well, I guess Castle Danger was an exception too, because we've not had a shared experience with Castle Danger. And I've actually never visited Steel Toe. So I would really like 
to get out there. And yes, things open up a little more. We get our vaccinations. We got to totally make a stop to a brewery right in your backyard. And it'd be interesting, this podcast, to remind people, the original vision was to do these podcasts live from the tap room, drinking beer fresh from the tap, where it is made. And then, of course, with COVID, that has sabotaged our plans. But it seems like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel for that. But I wonder, Dan, how we will handle it when we are in a spot where we can do these live. Do we... Mm revisit oh for sure we've done this far and feature something new because there's been some really good ones but a little more about steel toe they have seven what they call year-round beers that dan would wants to call their flagship beers there are seven year-round beers i'm gonna list them off for us dan there's the classic size seven ipa that one if you had to say this is the beer that they often hold out uh, or that is very that you can commonly find around the Twin Cities, the size seven IPA. They have their provider ale, which is brewed to be light and refreshing with a slightly sweet bready malt flavor and floral hop aroma. They have their Rainmaker Double Red Ale, nice. the the Descent Dark Ale, the size four, which is like a lower alcohol version of the size seven IPA. And I will say that I. I think the size four does a better job than most of what might otherwise be classified as a size as a uh, session IPA. And then I believe my favorite of their year round beers, the sticker fight, a double IPA. And then finally the Sissel, a raspberry sour ale. So those are their seven year round beers. And then they have a number of seasonal and experimental and barrel aged beers that they roll out on occasion. Now I know the they have the size seven, the size four. Not all of the beers follow that naming convention, but a lot of them do. And I get the connection to you know the boot sizes, steel toe. Do, do you know the origin of the steel toe name? I'm putting you on the spot. I don't. I do not know the origin okay. of the the steel toe name, but related to the size four, the size seven, one of their seasonal beers, which. Uh, is the size 11, a triple IPA. So that would be a, a fun one to try sometime as well. Dan, what uh, what are you drinking? I'm actually drinking the size seven. Um, and I, I've had gotten steel toe maybe a couple times from a liquor, liquor store. As I said, I didn't have a chance to get out there. And in fact, I wanted to swing by and grab a crowler today, but we had kind of a car shortage in my house as my daughter's trying to get it in some extra working hours over spring break. So um, I am drinking size seven and I actually think it was, it is sort of in a, in a world where so many things are going in the direction of the hazy and, and Northeast and mosaic and everything. I, I think of this, the size seven is just a really solid example of sort of what you call just a classic modern IPA. It's really crisp. It's abundantly hopped. And uh, really enjoying, but it, I, I'm thinking as a weather gets a little warmer and we've talked about, you know, we both went full bore into the hazy movement. Um, I'm finding it to be a slightly less appealing hazies to be slightly less appealing in warmer temperatures that it's just not quite as crisp, not quite as refreshing and, and especially when I've been, uh, wor- I, currently I'm working through a, a 12 pack of Surly 
rocket is it rocket surgery yeah rocket surgery which is a fine beer really good but is also it's you know it's a lot of hazy and this has just been a really refreshing departure for me so I'm yeah i'm glad it. you mentioned that about hazies because they're very popular and we certainly enjoy them one thing i've noticed with the preponderance of hazies that are now on the market is they all kind of taste the same <laughs> i mean you can find some variants mm -hmm. but um i I, I think that they do tend to blend together a lot more than the traditional IPAs in flavor. Yeah. Like a Furious is uh, distinctly different than a Sweet Child of Vine that feels distinctly different from uh, a size seven and, and on. And Dan, I have the story of why Steel Toe. I looked it up here. Some fine uh, Google in there, Josh. That, that's right. So, uh, like many craft breweries, it started with an avid home brewer and his wife and uh, Jason and Hannah are the uh, owners or the founders. But Jason, one of the owners, has worn steel-toed boots for most of his work career. Mm. Okay. And so it's about hard work. That's what they're mm. about. Your steel toes might be stilettos, loafers, wingtips, or hiking boots. It doesn't matter. It's just about what makes you feel like you've earned the rewards at the end of the day, namely a great craft beer. Oh, and that's usually the attitude with which I am approaching any drinking of beer that I've had. It's an earned experience. So on that note, Dan, what have the Timberwolves earned? <laughs> <laughs> I know well, we're not into I, Timberwolves talk yet, but yeah, <laughs> what 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 quality of beer has this team earned? Uh, with Natty Light, <laughs> Natty Light. All right. <laughs> um. Yeah. But before, I don't know. Oh, yeah. So, are are you drinking a beer today, or am I? Well, I wanted to just talk about a couple of my favorites. Oh yeah, yeah. Highlight yeah. a couple yeah. of my favorites that if you're looking to get some variety from uh, Steel Toe Brewing, the Descent Dark Ale. And the Sticker Fight Double IPA are two of my favorites. And the uh, third one, if I, when I go for that third beer at Steel Toe, as I've been known to do at their bar, I always like to, back in the day, I'd like to take my laptop and work from Steel Toe. <laughs> I don't know if that's um, a good work practice or not, but um, once you, know, you clear out the emails and all the important stuff, then it's like, well, you know what? I've had a sticker fight. I've had the Descent Dark Ale. You know what? Give me. Give me the the red. Give me the red, Dan. The Rainmaker Double Red Ale. So, so Josh and I work together, and now I have an explanation for all those late day work emails that begin and another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before we move on to Timberwolf talk, I'm just going to make another mention because it's still uh, really moving right now. The hashtag Drink Local Minnesota. Common sense legislation that allows breweries and distilleries and restaurants to sell uh, their product in take-home containers. Um, and it allows, and I think this is a really huge one, cideries and brew pubs to sell the products that you find in a liquor store on site. So the very common sense idea that you can go into a brewery, support them directly, cut out the middleman, and just buy a six-pack. Um, and in an times you know it's been so difficult on these establishments during the pandemic and this is just such a common sense way we can support our friends and neighbors who are trying to keep these businesses going and so there's a couple legis uh legis well there is a bill house and senate um you can get details at min mn craft bev 
slash take action. And we'll go ahead and, and post that um, by the time you hear this, uh, hear this podcast, you'll see this in our Twitter feed. Um, also, if you just look up hashtag drink local MN, um, you can find out information about how to get involved, how to contact your legislators and um, have them support this bill. And I just went to mncraftbevcouncil.org slash take dash action. And I see that there are 6,894 supporters and they're trying to get to 10,000. And so this is a good time to, to take action. We don't, uh, I, I guess one thing I think is helpful to, you know, with vaccinations coming and it feeling hopefully like there's a light at the end of the tunnel that, uh, you know, people might not feel as compelled to take action on this, but this is something we want long-term, right? This mm-hmm, isn't just right. about a, a COVID relief. This is just about something common sense that allows these businesses to do something they should probably be able to do anyway. For sure. All okay. right. So with that, Dan, shall we get into some Timberwolves talk with some fresh, new, and likely recurring segments for our Timberwolves uh, talk today. Dan no. segment. No? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You rejected oh. us. You you rejected that transition like <laughs> Wancho driving to the rim. Yeah, I know. Josh is Wancho going up in traffic. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Continue. You know, which really, you know, the end of that Phoenix game that they won, that it happened to be Wancho that found a way to dunk that for the, for the win. Well, when, notice he was able to dunk it because he was not going up in traffic. Uh, it was not traffic. Devin Booker was present, but mm-hmm. uh, but yes. Nevertheless, Dan, let's start off with segment number one, hot or cold. On a scale mm-hmm. of one to ten, Dan, what is your overall excitement level of the 2020-2021 Minnesota Timberwolves? Well, taking into account a lot of factors, if, if I was, you know, looking only at the record, of course, you, you got to <laughs> look at the, only the record and you're talking to like Dan prior to the season. It's like a one out of 10, but a couple developments during the year, sort of looking forward, sort of looking where we're at. Um, I'm going to go with four uh, and I'll just, without going into too much detail, but the few factors that are maybe bumping it up from a one are the impending return of D'Lo, who we love on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, the development and what we see in the future out of Jaden McDaniels. And although he's had kind of a slew of some dodgy games here lately, um, a lot of the excitement that Anthony Edwards has brought to this franchise that we did not necessarily foresee prior to this year. And so those are good for bumping it up to a four, but I mean, man, I can't go, I can't in good conscience go five, even uh, given the record. Where would you have placed that number if we had done this podcast after the Phoenix victory? Mm. Ooh. And yeah, it, it, it probably would have been a, honestly a six or seven, because at that point you're thinking about, you have the return of Beasley and D'Lo and we're seeming to put it together and uh, it's, 
it goes to show a thing that we're trying to say all the time about taking a long view and how it's so easy to get all of your hopes and dreams embedded in a sample size of, and I'm serious, like one, because who do, who do we play next? The next game that we play is against the New York Knickerbockers. <laughs> so if we came out and crushed the Knicks, that mm -hmm. defensive pulse that we saw in this last game, come on, we just crushed the Knicks. And Anthony Edwards is, is active, attacking the rim again, maybe a little better, bumper control. Cats playing solidly, getting people involved. Oh, Beasley's found his shot. He goes like four for nine from three or five for nine. You tell me that everybody in Timberwolves Nation wouldn't be just like completely out of their minds, excited again. About a 12 and whatever we are, 34, 35, 12, let's say 34, 12 and 34 mm -hmm. team. And we would be out of our minds excitement based on one game. It, it's just it's just the way it works and i i can't even really fault people because that's it's the human condition <laughs> we we have to have short-term memories as timberwolves fans otherwise how could we go on yeah timberwolves just since we're all over the board on record today uh, they are 11 and 36 and uh, 36 now right, so, so yeah, what's your 11 and 36 yeah so you're a four uh, as of this moment right now, I am a two. It's mm, just, okay. I, you made me more excited in talking about those things. There are things about this team to like, to uh, feel hopeful for, but in terms of my excitement level, I'm not like, Ooh, you know, like this is going to be just a, a, a riveting experience that I'm going to have here with this team or in terms of their, even their long-term prospects. Mm. I Ooh, and I hope to get to that. I hope to get to that. Certain Maybe. about um, uh, I, I have enough uncertainty about it that my excitement level is low, and yet my commitment to following them and catching the games, and that there is a Timberwolves game around the corner, still feels like a welcome distraction to my life otherwise. So it does. It is so. If I'm going to try to quantify this, I will say you are basically giving excitement over Jade McDaniel's like a point three. It bumps <laughs> it up. Anthony Edwards, the potential for just like a you know life ending dunk is like another point three. <laughs> okay, and I was kind of giving each of those like, oh, that's worth a point. That's worth a point. I think yeah, that's where we diverge on that. Okay, that's fair. All right, next segment, the freakout. Dan, what are your greatest concerns or what is your greatest concern with this team right now? Well, I I think mine might kind of intersect with yours. So maybe I'll just set the table and maybe you want to expound a bit. Um, and it's interesting because we're both huge fans of Dane Moore and he really seems to get to the heart of it and he articulates points really well. I'm actually finding it interesting that <laughs> – you got to believe me because I'm not doing a cast after every game, but very often that will be something that we're sort of bandying about. And then all of a sudden Dane will do a podcast and he'll knock it out of the park. Yeah. And so a decent example of, of this would have been uh, what it was. It was uh, maybe our last episode where I talked about that, like Anthony Edwards at times is kind of like the leader of this team. He's the one who kind of, 
takes the ball when it matters most. And, uh, and it just brought up and sort of highlighted at that moment that it's not really cat. Right. Right. And then I kind of, and I'm not, I don't even, cause we don't want to like throw people under the bus too much, but I used a certain phrase regarding cat and sort of the words that he says in public in press conferences and kind of how that relates to then what, we actually see transpire on the court. It's a phrase, <laughs> just a phrase. Words are wind, but um, mm. about is this, you know, like <laughs> what is backing up this talk when you actually get out there and what, what is really needed from somebody who is your, what, who, who should be assumed to be your leader. And, and, and if you want to listen to the the last, conversation that I think it was the one where Dane and Kyle Tige, uh went in depth about um, sort of the types of players that you can bring on. Oh no, maybe it was with Britt Robson, but the types of players that bring a leadership quality to a team and what, what you expect from them as a performance wise on the team, but how they hold people accountable and how, you know, the, Jimmy Butler and how that experiment didn't work and how Jimmy has sort of been validated to an extent in his time after leaving the Timberwolves really kind of brings that to the fore. It's like, are we all about kind of the words, and, but who, who on this team, there are people on this team that put forth the sort of effort you would need from a leader, but then they may not have the talent to to bring all, you know, to, to back up that credibility or to give the credibility um, to what they're trying to say. And so the, the mismatch between sort of the, the leadership quality and the talent quality on this team is a little, there's a mismatch there and I'm kind of rambling, but I, I, I'm a little concerned about that. The ant on the, you know, when you, when you said ant is being the leader, because I think that there's, I, I mean, I think he's got a, in terms of him being able to get elevate everybody's mood and be everybody's favorite, that's one thing. But in terms of um, being able to truly hold people accountable and truly understand what needs to change on a team and hold himself accountable for the decisions he's making on the court. Um, I, I, it's fair to say he's got to prove that and get, 19 years old, all that. But Yeah, and I don't think we were stating or even that I was stating that Ant is the leader of this team, but that he is showing some of those leadership chops and it looks like, uh, you know, moving forward as he grows and progresses, that that could be a, a role for him. He'd sh- he's been showing some potential on it, but the freak out here, just to clarify for everybody that uh, you have and that, you know, we have and that is now across Timberwolves Nation is really your best player, Cat. Um, and the seemingly lack of leadership skills emotionally and uh, having that type of edge and accountability you need from leaders on a team. If it doesn't come from your best player, you're going to be aimless a bit, and you can't have necessarily a player like Rubio be the leader on the team. My freak out is cats freak out. <laughs> so what's going uh, on? Do you yes. remember him not too long ago in, in press conferences, literally saying he's not going to be all about that with the refs anymore. 
and he needs to lead by example on how are guys like Jaden and Ant going to understand that they need to keep their emotions in check if he can't. <laughs> like, that is out the window, man. Him screaming foul is as loud as anything Tibbs ever screamed on the side. You just hear that foul. <laughs> it walking as the, you know, the break is headed the other direction. That's really <laughs> distressing to me to see how that has kind of overtaken him. And you, you see then that meltdown sort of gets into, he definitely doesn't play better after yeah. something like that has transpired. Jim Peterson talks about how when Cat gets emotional like that, he loses his technique. And then mm -hmm. when he loses his technique, he starts fouling on offense. He starts fouling on defense. It becomes this, even just as a fan watching it, you can see like the, it's like emotionally draining to watch it. And it seems mm -hmm. like it has an, Im never have I seen the team like, oh, Cat's freaking out about a foul again. Now we're like going to really get our stuff together and, and I uh, whatever and the play much better. Yeah, it's just it's not like it'd be one thing if it was cat freaking out, getting a technical foul, everybody gets pissed, and now we're focused and energized. Instead, it's like this slow brooding whine that you whining that you never want to be around of anybody in your life. And the thing you want to do most is just get out of that room when you're around those whiners. That's what he is on the court so often right now. Now you you don't want to be around someone like Luca. Doncic either but for some reason he's like it's effective <laughs> and like the question is does cat need to talk to some and i'm actually kind of serious here <laughs> is there some sort of psychologist or like guru that can help him cultivate his wine so that it's more effective because whatever he's doing you can almost see it in the expression of the refs they're like oh now you're just <laughs> you think you didn't get calls before you watch me now and I'm wondering how can some of these other entitled stars, LeBron, Donchers, and maybe it's just simply that they're that good that they can't be ignored. And maybe it just comes down to that. But there's something that they are doing, whether it's like, oh, you sometimes give the ref a pat on the butt or take him by the arm and kind of explain things to mm -hmm. them. And something about Kat's reaction is just bordering on childish that just rubs them a wrong way. I I feel like he could really talk with somebody about his communication skills well, in Dan, how he whines. Dan, let's role play that right now. So I'll be the therapist and you be cat <laughs> okay. and you come in and ask me uh, what question you have to ask. And I will be the therapist and have an answer for you. So uh, go ahead. Cat, okay. Carl, uh, what do you need to talk about today in terms of what's happening on the basketball court? And, well, and, like, and, and inside Carl and inside. Well, I get some pretty great numbers on the offensive end and I go down and I go up in traffic and I'm just getting hammered. And I feel like I look around and I see other guys that are just going to the free throw line again and again, and they're getting calls and I'm just not getting the same respect that they are. And I get frustrated so frustrated i just can't keep my emotions in anymore and i just have to vent you know it makes me intense it makes me want to play hard but uh yeah i just i don't know how to communicate to them that i'm not getting the respect that i deserve now carl can you give me an example of a player that you feel gets the respect that you do not get james harden james <laughs> 
James Harden. Now, does James do a lot of um, whining to the refs, or does he just do more, say, BS on the court that gets him the fouls he's looking for? He seems to not have to uh, do the whining. Luka Doncic does the whining. Oh, yeah, he's okay. So like a lot of calls. So, Carl, how would you say that uh, – you differ from from Luca. Why might the officials be giving Luca or I don't know? I watch a little bit of basketball. Carl, uh, LeBron James, for example. Uh, I even think a, that I, I think Paul, problem, like what's what's different about them than you? Would you say after I get fouled and don't get a call, it looks like I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say that there's anything those players have done <laughs> to? Uh, get respect that possibly you haven't done. I think they talk to the refs like the refs are adults and they're having a conversation. Hmm, so stylistically that's there, but you know, what gets, uh, you know, I don't know enough about basketball, Carl, but what actually earns players respect in the NBA? Wins. Mm. <laughs> Wins. And so is it possible that you will never be effective in complaining to the refs until you win? Yeah. And win as the primary leader on the team? Yeah. But I realize I might be lacking some leadership skills too. <laughs> Let's talk this about that been, during your next this appointment. This has been really helpful. <laughs> All right, time for our next uh, segment. Dan, hype it up. What are you most excited about? So I'm going to go with the core. So, uh, oh, could I just, one more thing I'll just mention on leadership. Yeah, I, yeah. So D'Lo is a remarkably divisive player among the fan base for a guy who doesn't have that much of a track record with the franchise. He had a really tone deaf recent thing that he did. Uh, with regard to rookie of the year discussion, oh, who cares? Let's talk about that in yeah. blind spots. That's okay, more of a so, blind right. spot. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but oh, hey, you just lost. We just lost your audio. Got there me? you go. Yeah. What if D'Lo has that leadership quality that uh, we're talking about? And you know, if you're if you're all out on D'Lo, what I'm saying is going to just not resonate with you at all, but I don't even want to expound on it too much. You know, you see him talking, counseling younger players on the team during timeouts. Um, you see the way he carries himself when he is on the court. Uh, fair pushback is, is he giving forth the defensive effort you indeed from a leader? But certainly there have been players that are a lot more offensively geared than defensively geared in the past in this a league that you would consider to be leaders, but I, I'm just going to put that out there. And, you know, maybe, maybe cat is the sort of personality where he's, maybe he doesn't see himself in that role as his wheelhouse. Maybe he is willing to sort of take that back seat. And there's been this void that Dilo is ready to assume when he steps onto the court, just throwing that out there. All right. All right. But yeah, now moving on to, Hype uh, it what, up, yeah. Yeah, what am I most excited about? about? And I said the core. And 
what I mean is, and I think it's kind of interesting, the, the, the no moves at the trade deadline. I think we were both kind of like, if they could have pulled something off power forward wise, it would have been cool. And we're both maybe a little on the train of, man, we could have just about rolled the dice on Noel as your de facto replacement for Beasley. So and you trade just, Beasley, keep Noel. Yeah. Whatever, but we didn't, and this is what we got. But in some ways, this is this is really good because D'Lo comes back, you got your team. There's there's no running away from who you got available and what they're doing on the court, how they fit, and everything else. And in some ways, it's almost helpful to know that nothing you've done so far has worked because you have 11 wins. And so now you have this clean slate with like 20, I don't know what it is, 20, 25, 20 to 25 games left. And you have a great thing to evaluate at the end of the year. And it is possible you're really saying our core at the end of this year is Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, Cat, and everything else is subject to change. Um, I think the team has put themselves in a position where you have some tradable assets now. Um, you know, maybe maybe you decide that D'Lo is not part of this core going forward. We don't know yet. We're going to have a better idea when summer comes around how that Cat and D'Lo experiment works together. But say like you make the decision you have to move on from D'Lo. Well, he's not a – you consider him rather untradable, but maybe – Maybe he's packaged with Beasley and suddenly it, it is more tradable because we do have some tradable assets on the team or some of these other guys on the team that may not be, you know, may not have the skill set and promise of Jaden McDaniels, but nevertheless are far outperforming their really cheap contracts mm. like Nas Reed and uh, Jalen Noel that could be valuable pieces you throw in. So maybe nobody sees D'Lo as worth, you know, whatever, $28 million, but him plus Beasley plus Jalen Noel for, you know, significantly less per player. Um, maybe there's some possibilities there, but they've put themselves in a position this summer where I think everybody sort of assumes there's going to be a massive overhaul this summer and you'll have a good idea of what your core is and how to move forward. So, and I think also this has been the year where the idea of cat going somewhere through trade has gone from doomsday scenario to, okay, so that just means now we're building around Ant and Jaden McDaniels and it's no longer a taboo conversation. So in terms of being excited about, you know, where, where we could go in the future, maybe you make that decision. It's like, it is not going to happen with, a center as your as the focus of your offense and a guy that maybe doesn't have some of those leadership skills you're talking about and you're going to move on and like wow okay but we do have the the basis for how we talk about life after cat where before this year we really didn't have that we couldn't even conceive of what life after cat would look like and now that that conversation can happen yeah, I'm I'm excited about a couple of things. One is the uh, Anthony Edwards and Jed McDaniel's year one to year two possible leap, you know, where they they've had a lot of reps this year, especially Ant, that I think could translate into 
and of course, this is like the whole potential thing, but that's kind of what excitement is, is the excitement about potential is what Anthony Edwards could become and how he, he might grow out of this season. Uh, Free beer one, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one thing it might require though, is just some stability and some continuity. I, I, you know, another overhaul, I, I we definitely need like some, something needs fixing, but I think this constant instability, different coaches, different systems, different players, full overhauls, like, you have no idea who you're playing with, what their tendencies are. You don't know exactly where they're going to be. It takes time to learn them. I even said at the beginning of this year, this team is going to need 20 to 25 games to like gel. And then of course, all of the instability comes along. And now we might get to see what that 20 to 25 hmm. games looks like moving forward with this team, albeit with a lot more, with a different coach, with a different system. So I just, I am not optimistic about what we will see in these 20 games because of the, and this is not like a Saunders versus Finch thing at all, but like with the coaching change and the system change and all that's happened, it is a different level of focus and energy and excitement and promise that the players have coming into the season versus we're the worst team in the league. So um, I am excited about that year one to year two leap. And one thing that I think could be fascinating is, you know, could Ant and Jaden be a, have a similar impact on a team that say like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have, where you sort of your team's based on two wings uh, and then other things fit in around that. If, this is in a scenario where cat is not around. If that were the, the case, um, you know, boy, they're young, <laughs> but uh, yeah. that would be the long-term vision, right? Yeah. I, I think that is what has been one of the concerns maybe with cat is that in this day and age, it's so difficult to have a big be your cornerstone because they're typically not initiators, you know, Jokic being an exception. We are finding out, you know, Cat is every bit the passer we ever hoped he would be. Yeah. Um, and it still does seem like, you know, Cat with Beasley and D'Lo to toss it out to when he gets double and triple teamed. That really, that is what we have not seen. And now we've seen him with Beasley in two games where Beasley, or was it, it's been two games now, right? Where Beasley just not shooting yet. And so it's not really, he's not that if Beasley is hitting 40% of his threes and Delo is back, you know, maybe we see that there is a, a world in which cat as initiator of the offense uh, can thrive. But that post cat world where you have primary ball handlers as your centerpieces is that's kind of where the rest of the league is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Beasley, if you're wondering, we we are knocking off some rust because he's seven of twenty nine from the field in two <laughs> games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I do think that will come around, but uh, Next yeah, segment. but it, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just shaking off some rust. Hopefully. I imagine he'll get back to where he needs to be. Uh, next segment, Dan, is blind spots. What are we missing, or what is the Timberwolves fan base? missing entirely. Let me kick this off with a new advanced metric, Dan, that I like to call 
the Josh. Mm, the J O S H. Jump shot off suspected hit rate. So how did this begin? Back when Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook were budding stars and then established stars with the Oklahoma City Thunder, that was a team other than the Timberwolves that I regularly made a point to follow, either watching their games on TV or checking the box scores to follow them because I really liked Kevin Durant coming out of college. And I also found Russell Westbrook uh, just so compelling with his ferocity on the court. And I was like, I like this team. And I would remember so many times I'd be looking at the box score. And granted, this was a good team. But if there was a game that's like, oh, wow, like that was a close game. Why did they lose? Or, oh, they lost to a team that I would have thought they would have beaten. What happened? Well, almost every time it was Durant goes something like 12 of 20 for 20, 12 of 20 from the field for 27 points. And Russell Westbrook would go something like six of 18. (laughs) And I then have used that as a guide of every time I review the box score of a game that I want to see what happened in this game. I look for who shot a lot and missed about two thirds or so of those shots. It doesn't have to be like 33%, but it's generally if somebody shoots a lot and from the field, they were below 40%. Or so, uh, those teams usually lose those games. That and and you started using this. You started using this phrase like teams don't survive that. And I was thinking about all those years that we suffered with Andrew Wiggins on the team. And I know Dane recently talked about this. Like, there's a value in these innings eaters. These guys that just get shots up, and you have to guard them. You have to pay attention to them. And even if everything else stalls, they're always a threat to go off or, or make shots. But at the same time, at the end of the day, and how often did we look at Wiggins and the shots taken were in the twenties and the shots hit were in the single digits yes, and, or it was fewer points than shots taken. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And Teams don't survive that. And for five years with him on the team, this team did not survive that. And so I think one of the the low-key th- ways in which this has manifested itself in this current team's 11 and 36 record mm-hmm. is we're, we love Anthony Edwards. We love his potential, and they're working on his shot selection. But how often, like even in his 42-point game, he hit, I think, exactly 50% of his shots, or maybe it was like 11 of 22 or something, you know, 11 of 21. Mm-hmm. But, but how many times this year has he hit 50% of his shots? And he is frequently the leading shot taker in the game, and he's getting really important reps, but he goes six for 18, nine for 23. Mm-hmm. Not that bad, but teams don't survive that. <laughs> and especially because every one of those, not every one of those misses, sometimes he's missing a really nice catch and shoot three. But mm-hmm. often he's missing a shot that could have been swapped out for a better shot. He's taking a shot from 17 feet, pull up jumper with 
16 seconds on the shot clock. And that could have been another shot that had a better chance of going in. And this whole metric can be, there's a lot of factors that go into this. Sometimes the shots you're taking are because of the defense. The other team is, you know, not, not all of it is necessarily self-inflicted. Um, this doesn't live on an Island without factors that are contributing to it, but it is interesting how, how much it comes down to that, because you can talk about all these things that went into the game. Well, you know, they started playing a zone defense or, you know, they, this happened or that happened, but often it's like, Oh, you you just look at that box scores. Like, do they have a really high volume shooter that, went six for 19 like oh they lost it's teams pretty, don't survive that it's pretty foolproof um you know and then on occasion you will see um you know a well-played game where nobody on either team shoots horribly like truly horribly and then those like you know can go either way but you know i look at for example the the game that we won against the trailblazers 114 to 112 and this is a game that you know we won and in that game, Anthony Edwards shot the most shots on the team by far. He had 24 shots. The player with the next most shots after that was 10 shots. Okay. So that's a huge gap there. And Ant shot uh, 50% that game, including six of 14 from three. You know, the next highest number of shots was Rubio. He, he shot three of 10, but there was such a gap, you know, where based on, you know, the Thunder being the model for this, was, you know, you'd have Durant with 20 shots and you'd have Westbrook with 18 shots. Like there's hardly a difference there. And one of them makes most and the other misses a lot of them. And then, you know, in those particular games, teams didn't survive that. But when you look at Anthony Edwards is shooting during that terrible stretch that did uh, Ryan Saunders in, it was some of the worst shooting I've ever seen. And teams just Mm -hmm. don't survive that. And then when you look at the games that we've won, well, shoot, Cat and Ant both shoot, score 40 points. We beat a team by 30 because Jaden McDaniels and Jalen Noel shoot like 17 of 22. It's like leadership. Yeah, you can talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, are these are they, are they, are they pulling the Josh or are they uh, – why did I name bad shooting after me, Dan? That's the yeah, I know, especially a guy with a performance you had in the B.J. Armstrong <laughs> basketball camp free throw competition. Um. I think about last year and into this year a bit where the Timberwolves were playing that drop defense and they were, it was the very analytically driven. Oh, you want to take a 12 foot pull up jumper. We want to give you that shot because it's an analytically unsound shot. You can take that all you want. So we're going to invite you to take that. And so teams were like, sure. And it's like in one game to start off last year was D'Lo going against us and he scores 50 and it, it's it's the Josh theory sort of almost in reverse because like this is a shot that in theory isn't a good shot, but like teams knew you were giving them that shot. The word got out like these guys. Have you seen these guys shoot an em- empty gym when nobody's guarding them, especially it's like barely believable. Right. And so like a lot of these guys can shoot well over 50 percent when they know they're going to have an open pull up jumper from inside the, so suddenly this in theory, analytically unsound shot, given the context is actually a really solid shot. And that's why I think you were seeing a lot of those where you have that, they used to call it on Canis Hoopus. I think the MPE, the mediocre player explosion, mm. you know, it's like 
what's his name? Is it Dylan from um, Memphis? Who just like, you know, like, ah, 29 points. He's like, just explodes because he's some guy that just, it's often a player or a DeMarcus or not DeMar, DeMar DeRozan who Mm. just excels from the mid range and knows they're going to get that shot all day. And Kawhi excels from the mid late range knows he's going to get that shot. Yeah. And so you, in any of those games, they're a perfect example. The the Josh theory is they're going to come out and, and have a, you know, 13 for 21 and they're going to win. Yeah. According to Josh. And a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's when you start looking at, well, yeah, that mid range shot is bad if you don't make it, you know, but if it's, (laughs) yeah. Or like any shot is like, and they're trying to like, well, you know, we need to toss up as many as possible. But if you're a team that you're constantly shooting horribly, you got to find some shots you can actually make. That's kind of the, and, and if you don't, you are going to lose all of the time, you know? So yeah, I, there, to me, there is a, there is an argument for like, what is this team's strength and can we play to it? And one thing that I think is very fascinating is that so one thing I think is very fascinating is, you know, since the 40 point game from Anthony Edwards defenses have clearly made an adjustment on how they, they guard him and he um, he's struggling with that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's the thing about being a promising rookie too, is you find something that works. It's not going to work for long. Yeah. Hopefully adding the additional shooters. I think the fact that Beasley and Delo and Beasley coming back and still not being able to shoot, but we just haven't been able to take enough pressure off Ant and Cat shouldering the entire scoring load, except for those stints when Noel is in and <laughs> hitting his own high percentage mid-range shots. Um, but I'm going to be watching very closely. I guess we all are to see the extent to which the addition of shooters creates opportunities for Ant and hopefully um, does so without making him, hopefully making him understand that life is easier on him without having him resent fewer shooting opportunities. Mm-hmm. You're not going to take 24 shots. You're going to take 16 shots, but you're also going to make over 50% and you're going to go to the line a ton. Hopefully. Um, so Josh, there's another uh, blind spot that you want to get to. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned Dilo when we were talking about leadership and just how much of a polarizing player he is among the Timberwolves fan base. And I thought it made sense based on partly where you were going there beyond his potential leadership capabilities is to talk about Dilo and what are, what are, what's the fan base missing about D'Lo in your mind? What's the blind spot here? I think the fan base, is, and I don't know any of this to be sure. And, and again, we love D'Lo. And for me, one of the reasons I love D'Lo, he's just super cool. Like <laughs> yeah. he's a cool, super cool guy. I love his, you know, you can say that he doesn't play with a, a ton of, I, I guess you know, defensive energy or whatever, but I mean, he's a guy that is very emotive when he is 
when he's hitting big shots, willing to take them is capable. And one of those guys that is capable of hitting improbable shots. And I said before, I think the guy on the team that is most likely to hit and do the dance for a big balls dance (laughs) shot, you know, (laughs) he's voted most likely to do the big balls dance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I love D'Lo. And I think that what people miss so his body of evidence for being a contributing player on a winning team is that one legendary season in Brooklyn where mm-hmm. he was, you know, it, it, it worked well and he worked well within a system and every year he has not done well. He has been either in the midst of complete dysfunction or been depended upon to be the guy. You know, in, in Golden State, it was a disaster around him. He's not meant to be your 1A, but that's yeah. what he was supposed to be there. And in the majority of time he's been in Minnesota, he's expected to be the 1A. So everyone's like, D'Lo's taking too many shots. Well, have you seen who's taking the shots and how they're doing when D'Lo's not on the court? <laughs> yeah. D'Lo, who should have been taken, maybe not always in the shot clock when he did. But you know what I mean? It's like, if he's not taking the shots, Kogi's taking the shots. <laughs> let's, let's let him take those shots. And yeah. He comes back, so we're going to have, you know, Beasley and an ant that's been a little more unlocked. And of course, cat. And let's look back at, you know, how his track record with cat so far, I think maybe now they're two and three um, in their five games, but they've been against some stiff competition, you know, in those games includes a win against Utah, very close loss against uh, Eastern conference final level Toronto last year. And like, God, we got to see those two play. Yeah. So that's that's how I think people are just missing, you know, that they're seeing D low experiences from an unfair comps, I guess. Yeah, I think that really says it all. That you know, yeah, yeah, it's five games with Cat. Uh, there's like, there's not enough sample size among how things are supposed to be to hate D'Lo. That's my take on it. Right. Like, we, like, hate whoever you want, but like, have enough evidence of the circumstances as they're kind of designed to be to, uh, you know, and then come to your conclusion on. On that, because of the games that we have, of the uh, eleven games that we have won, you know how many has D'Lo <laughs> like been a part of? I know one right. of those. He hit the game-winning shot, uh, right? And he also he seen every pr- practice picture you see, like workouts. He's always wearing Zubas, which is like <laughs> the best. <laughs> All right, so. Dan, it is time for episode 10's Timberwolf Power Rankings. Who do you have at number five? I got D'Lo, even though he's not playing. You tell me that every fringe Timberwolf fan is not going to be tuning in for the D'Lo return game. Even the people that like claim to hate him and think he can't move, move the needle or he's makes teams worse than he makes them better. They're turning in. They're hopeful. They want to see what happens when Cat and D'Lo take the court together. As long as we have not seen it, we have hope. Number four. I got Ant. Um, he would not be in there at all had he not had that little flurry at the end of the last game 
Uh, we really want to see him start um, honing his decision-making such that those bumpers uh, Coach Finch has talked about are in place, a little better decision-making, a little more awareness on the defensive end. Sometimes it looks like he's already taken the ball out of bounds when the guy, the shot hasn't left the shooter's <laughs> hand. It's a little distressing. We're still very excited about Ant, and he manages to cling on by his fingertips to spot four in the power rankings. Number three. I got Jalen Noel, who is one of uh, two young players that we've just remained really pretty excited about, even through these dark times, often in a, a second unit. It's like there's absolutely no offense happening except one guy that will just the other team is on a 14 to four run. And those two buckets were hit by Noel. Um, he's proving he's belongs in an NBA rotation. And in fact, there's that stat where he's like the fifth best player in the world in the, in the league this year from the mid range. Mm-hmm. Dang. Um, if his three point shot, he, and even so he's shooting like 36 or 37% from three yeah. point, but we know he's not really found his stroke, right? All of us feel like that shot will start falling for him a little more than it has been. And at that point, I think, you know, look out, he's got some decision-making skills as a primary ball handler that Zach Levine never had in his time here, the whole year of running point. Um, he has the makings for a kind of heady player, a more willing passer than I was willing to grant him at the beginning of the year, and a little more defensive chops, a lot more defensive chops than Malik Beasley. Number two. Got to go with Cat because his numbers have been bonkers even <laughs> during this bad stretch. He's averaging like 28, 29 points, about 10 rebounds, passing up a storm. Um <laughs> It, were it not for those sort of leadership concerns, I think he'd, he'd be a number one, but I think the fact that he does not seem to be able to bring the team along with him and the, 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 the extent to which the defense just ebbs when times are rough and how in, disinterested the team defensive effort gets and how that really needs to start with your leader uh, prevents him from keeping the number one spot. Yeah. And I, one thing I think that gets lost in plenty of NBA conversation now, anyway, maybe it doesn't get lost. Maybe that's just how I'm introducing this comment I'm about to make. Maybe it's <laughs> plenty well discussed, but just the importance of defense and free throws in stopping the other team's runs, you know, that if your shots aren't falling, you got to get to the line. If your shot's not falling, you got to like really focus on defense during those times because otherwise you're just going to get demolished with runs in the NBA that you will never recover from. You also need to not send the other team to the line with your offensive fouls. Yeah. (laughs) Or just, yeah, with your fouls. Yeah. The, uh, it's when you go back to say like one thing that was a staple of some 90s and early 2000s basketball players that, and is a staple of players' games like Harden and even Jimmy Butler to an extent, is that when the shot's not falling, they're getting to the line. They're just doing it. So you got to get – if your shot's not falling, you got to focus on the defense and get to the free throw line. And I think that's where 
whoever the leader is on your team needs to set the tone on those. If you're going to focus on how do I better model leadership as a basketball player, it's when times get tough, I come up with the stops and I get us to the free throw line somehow. Yeah. Start seeing that. Then you start seeing somebody who is demonstrating leadership chops and they actively go get the ball when it matters most. Josh, that's a great take. Cheers. Thank you. (laughs) Dan, Um, that, that is your, that's your number one take for power rankings of this app. No. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Number one, the power rankings is Josh's take. (laughs) No. Um, number one, I'm going with Jaden McDaniel. So with the possible exception of Jaden Noel, um, I would say Jalen Noel. It's too many J.A.'s yeah. on this team entirely. Uh, Jaden McDaniels is the one player f- for whom there were no concerns and only excitement generated during this very dark recent stretch of games. Um, His, his on ball defense of some of the, like maybe two of the three premier individual scorers in the league just is outrageous. And Finding his three-point stroke, finding a little more. And, and it seems like every few games he unveils a little bit more of the full package. It's like, oh, he can do something on a dribble. We didn't see that at all two months ago, that this guy can put the ball on the floor, you know, finish, and some of his cutting, backdoor cutting, and his instincts and his physical gifts are just so exciting and and like there's a school of thought that says he is the most untouchable player on this whole on this whole team Uh, it's fun so uh, yeah he's he's my number one on the power rankings josh yeah yeah (laughs) we're expecting the world after that really sweet take (laughs) and uh what who uh, what where is your sixth man for the pro- That's a proper intro for how I've handled these over the 10 episodes <laughs> is uh, my, my sixth man indeed is a what this time, which Ooh. is the draft. Mm. And I have a question for you. Back in our first episode, you had talked about wanting to trade the number one pick of this year's draft for Shea Gilgis Alexander. Okay, I wish we had done that. There, and, we'd have our leader. Sorry, well, so that was going to be my question. <laughs> Would you trade Anthony Edwards for Shea Gilgis Alexander? <laughs> I. This is going to be a great answer that will rival your take. I would trade. Anthony Edwards for Shea Gilgis Alexander. If you could guarantee me that Anthony Edwards would only ever be for another team, what he would be for the Timberwolves. <laughs> Say that again. Think, think about it. Say that again. I would <laughs> trade Anthony Edwards for Shea Gilgis Alexander. If you could guarantee me that Anthony Edwards would only ever be for another team, what he would be for the Timberwolves. 
<laughs> right. So it's like he can't play any better for another team than he ever did for the Timberwolves. No, no, not that he ever did, than he ever could for the Timberwolves. Yeah, because yeah. That, here is like he won't develop to his full potential with us, but, but he'll like go to, to Miami and become Michael Jordan. And no, I, I actually don't, am not as concerned with development as I was once upon a mm-hmm. time for this franchise, you know, in the Rosas and Finch era. But oh, um, is that a soft I, yes? Is that a yes, Darren? Or uh, gosh, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough question, right? But I, it's I, a I'm really curious. good. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, it, it. My, I don't think my take back then was a bad one at all. I don't either. That's why I brought it up again here is like, now yeah. we know who that number one pick is. We've seen, uh, we have a sample of games, uh, uh, over 40, I, 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 over 40 yeah. games, nearly 50 games of this player. So through I 50 think Alex, games, uh, I think Shay is a, not a one a is the whole thing. He's a super solid one B on a, on a contending team, I think he's that good. And he has that force of sort of like the, um, uh, John Morant sort of force of will won't be denied this quality. You're talking about games getting out of control. What are you going to do to impact the totality of the game? You're not going to whine because you didn't get the call. You thought you're not going to, you know, you're going to play better defense and you're going to go to the line and who has the fortitude to make that sort of change happen in a game? And and I think uh, is it Shay Shay or Gilgis Alexander is his last name? So like, and but you don't say Anthony Towns, so I don't know. But anyway, Shay Gilgis Alexander <laughs> seems to me from the games that I've seen to have that sort of quality to him. And so that's like that. I mean, maybe there's that leader that you're that you're talking about and that you want and. It does. The more I think about this, the more it seems like if you had somebody that had that personality, that's what Cat, Cat, that's who Cat would like to have on the team. He just doesn't want him to have Jimmy Butler's personality. Yeah, you know. So I was looking at the box score from the game that we lost to the Thunder, one twelve to one hundred three, and Shea in that game had thirty one points on eleven of twenty three shooting, four of six from three, and uh, five of six from the free throw line. Uh, and and uh, Carl Anthony Towns, that game pulled the Josh with ten of twenty eight shooting. Oh wow! And, he he and, doesn't do that often. In fairness to Cat, hmm? he almost always shoots over fifty percent. But it's more often the shot attempts are our concern. Yeah, but then you know Ant shot six of sixteen, and so but there was a player on our. You know we lost the game by what nine points, and uh, yeah. somebody shot horribly from. But, from the field tie this back around to the sixth man being the draft, the the draft. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people, um, really are looking to, Oh, we got to keep that top three pick. And if we don't, it's a disaster. And it, and it's like, if draft picks were going to fix this team, we would have been fixed by now. (laughs) Right. Right. It's hard not to have that. And, And you and I are very much, on the other end of the people that are like constantly thinking about who's, you know, the draft position jockeying and who we're going to draft and all that. And, and in fact, tanking, and we are a hundred percent in the non tank is like tanking is like hoping for something that's an uncertain. And in fact, where this 
franchise is concerned, an unlikely positive outcome, whereas winning games is happiness in your pocket, right? <laughs> That's right. And and I will go as far to say that, you know, people are talking about how amazing this upcoming draft class is. Let's say we keep the pick. I hope, let's say we like end up keeping it after the draft lottery. I hope we trade it. Whoa. So, and I, I honestly don't know these guys. I don't know the, mm-hmm. the um, potential for, you know, like sure thing sort of quality about all this, but I will say on your two out of 10 excitement, if there's any excitement with Delo coming back and this core that we have or whatever, and then like the potential, like, wow, we might still, we might end up the season in a bit of a tear, but we'd have to play like 50% ball to not have a 40% chance of the top three pick. So maybe yeah. we end up with the top three pick and we end up, the year in kind of a tear and we've gotten a chance to see these guys like, ah, I think it's a strong case for being above a two out of 10 on excitement. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, that's all I have, Dan. You have anything else you want to say? Nothing. All yeah, right. um, that that will do it, won't it, for our 10th episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. I'm pretty active on Twitter under the handle tip to tap. You spell out the word two. Thank you everybody for tuning in. If you can think of anyone else who wants to join us for Timberwolves talk and Minnesota craft beer talk. Please let them know about us for tip to tap. I'm Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton. Relax, man. It's just sports. Take a step back. Take a sip of steel toe beer and take the long view. The season is probably not going to unfold the way you think it is in the moment. Go wolves. How? I'm always hoping it will come in just under an hour and it's always a little over an hour.